Yo, what's up? Welcome to Kind of Funny Games Daily for Friday, May 14th, 2021. I want your host, Blessing Adioye Jr. Joining me is Tim Ma Fucking Gettys. May the 14th be with you, with you, bless. Fuck. May the 14th <laughs> be with you. You ruined that line. You tried. Let's laugh you did your best. It. Let's laugh. You almost nailed it. A loser. Everyone, Damn. please laugh at me. I need this right <laughs> point, now. Point, I need some point. type of emotion. Chat, right point. Hey, man, know it's it 10 a.m. It's 10 a.m. You're allowed to flub. Tim, <laughs> we got to start this off talking about Mass Effect. Because, man, I've never been so hyped for a game release that, like, doesn't necessarily speak to me, essentially. You know, like, I'm uh-huh. not the biggest Mass Effect fan. I've not really, like, played through any of the Mass Effects. But seeing the hype, the pure hype on Twitter last night, going into this morning, was uh, uh, infectious. Infectious mm-hmm. would be the word. Mm-hmm. Have you played Mass Effect yet? Have you started it? I have not started it yet, no. Okay. Okay. Do you know who has started it? A few you. people who just entered the Discord. Well, me, Whoa. I started it. Whoa. Joy Noel has started it. Oh, Rod oh Former has started it. Whoa. And Bear Cordy have started Whoa. it. Whoa! Guys. So many of us. Joey, I want to start with you. How far are you in Mass Effect? I'm like an hour in. I'm super early. It's been a busy week. But I'm really stoked. I'm surprised at how good it looks. <laughs> and like for a game that came out a while ago. I feel like it's really pretty. Like I posted a picture from it yesterday. I was like, oh, I might like fuck around with photo mode. Um, but I'm excited. People have built this up. There's a lot of like thirsty alien sex apparently who, in my future. Who are you to fuck, Joey? I don't know. I've I just met Garrus. People seem to be very excited about Garrus. I met Garrus. <laughs> I don't know and I got anything very about this. I got Garrus. I started eyeing him, and I was like, I can see a future with you, my guy. I'm just <laughs> seeing Garrus. I'm trying to smash. Yeah, I might smash Garrus. Joey, is I this your it. first time with Mass Effect? Yes, I know literally nothing about Mass Effect except for like the random things that Andy has like talked about throughout the years. But even that, I don't really remember super in detail. Uh, But I made a really cute fem shop and I'm very excited for her adventures around the galaxy. Roger, is this your first time with Mass Effect? Yeah, this is my first time. I I played Mass Effect 2 like the first two hours of it, like five times over the years, and then I just (laughs) never go through it. But it's my first time with Mass Effect 1, and um, I'm having a good time with it. I I do think that the PC settings are really, uh, really bad. Uh, There's not much choice. There's not much accessibility, um, and there's not Mm -hmm. much just generally graphic changes that I can have. But uh, the game itself is is a good time. I just think the PC board is is lacking. How much have you played so far? Uh, About five hours of of, uh, Mass Effect 1. Yeah. Yeah. So how are you enjoying? Are you digging the story or are you digging the world? Uh, Yeah, I love this. I love the world. You and I talked about this a little bit. Like, I I think that this is like truly something where I'm like, oh, wow, like I'm interested in everything that's happening. Like, usually I'm in a game like this. I'm a little bit looser gooser. Like I'm a looser gooser. Jesus fucking Christ. Laugh at me too. Um, yeah, uh, no, I'm usually like I'm, I'm usually kind of like, OK, like I don't need like exposition and like let's just get to the action or whatever. But I'm like I'm like talking to everybody, anything that wants to talk to me like, yeah, fucking talk to me. Tell me everything. Tell me about your Dude, life. I love that. Code are you? Yeah, the codex. Yeah. With the where you talk about the the girl or whatever, the the lady that pops up or. Oh, oh, I'm no, talking wait, about the menu. I'm talking, about, I'm talking like oh, when you I'm go into the start. Yeah, off. when you like learn about <laughs> yeah, the world. Never mind. And stuff. You go to the codex. You like start to learn. Like that's my <laughs> thing. Is this is this is my first time playing Mass Effect One. I started Mass Effect Two forever ago on PS3, but I told the story on PS Love You where my PS3 got the yellow light of death, and so I only got maybe a couple hours oh, wow. of Mass Effect Two before I, my PS3 broke, and I just <laughs> never got back to it. And so like I've and I've, I've of course seen people talk about it, seen people uh, play through certain parts. I had known about Mass Effect. I, I think my my first introduction to Mass Effect was like either a CNN or a Fox News report about the alien sex and how 
uh, how, how much of a news story that was. People like comp complaining or like making the controversy that people were banging aliens in this game. Um, but as a young child, I was like, oh, snap, that sounds good to me, man. I want to get into that. Uh, and so starting up, starting up Mass Effect a few days ago when we got the code in, I like at first I was like, OK, this seems like an old game. <laughs> like playing through it, the controls seem kind of wacky and like the um, the thing I noticed the most was the 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 mouth animations on the characters. There's oh, way yeah. more animation oh, yeah. in the mouths than there is in the rest of the face. Yeah. And so it looks kind of off from that regard in Mass Effect One. Um, they look like the but, Real Housewives. Something like that. Like <laughs> it, it, it just it makes sense. a lot of Botox <laughs> happening. That's a plastic surgery joke for you. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. But it, it it looks off in, in certain places, but it does look it does look great at the same time. Like I went into the photo mode and, and took a few pictures of my uh, Commander Shepard, who uh, I've gone with Lady Shep, and she's named Doja Shepard uh, Shepard after Doja Cat, <laughs> the famous musician. Um, Very nice. But I've been having a blast blast with it so far. I'm about five hours in. I uh, have been really enjoying digging into the world, reading the codec, getting a, an idea of what. The, how the politics work and all that stuff in, in, in the world. And it seems very fascinating. Uh, and I think the thing that struck me the most is how much I've always heard about how much Outer Worlds takes after this game. And like for me, as somebody who likes Fallout, I've always just attributed Outer Worlds as being a Fallout successor. But now that I've played more Mass Effect, I'm like, oh, I see the pure, the pure inspirations that, that Outer Worlds is taking from Mass Effect as well. Like it feels like such a half and half fusion of both, which I thought was, a, which I think is a really cool thing. Uh, but Barrett, is this your first time with Mass Effect? This is my first time with uh, Mass Effect. Uh, and uh, that doesn't mean I, I didn't know what Mass Effect was in high school. Get fucked, Jeff Grubb. Um, I, it was just one of the... It, it, Mass Effect was those things where like my friends were really into. And I just wasn't as into video games in high school. Uh, so it, I, just, I think it was just wrong place, wrong time for me of getting into it. And so, yeah, jumping in last night, I played about two and a half hours. Uh, I just found some evidence on a motherfucker. And I'm about to take him down and i'm so fucking excited about it like i'm already getting into like i'm not as getting into the as uh much into the codec as you are blessing but like mm -hmm. just like the like the moment to moment of like learning who these characters are and like kind of the relationships and like overhearing conversations about uh what it seems to be the villain for the first game and like uh maybe uh there's some deeper shit going on with him and uh yeah, I'm just uh, I'm getting really into the relationships uh, of like everybody and building up my crew. Like you, you're getting your crew so quickly. Like uh, once you get like a team member, it'll show you like the entire like I think like pretty much like list of who you're gonna get. And so I only have like yeah. one more member to get, and I'm like, oh shit, like this is this is going quickly. And uh, that's, yeah, that's I'm, the thing that struck me too. Because yeah. in Outer Worlds, it takes you a while to fill up that team. Yeah. I mean, even in Fallout, like getting companions in Fallout, uh, like usually takes like a, a few hours in between each character to to get a new companion. And so yeah, I'm like so excited to like go on this adventure with the uh, the crew that I'm getting, hang out with Garrus, hanging out with Rex. I'm very excited about it. My two alien boys. And uh, yeah, and I'm I'm also like Roger, where I'm like uh, going around the Citadel and uh, talking to everybody. I helped that uh, heretic out and uh, paid for his uh, whatever his uh, license to, to talk about. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, just helping people out. And it, it's one of those things where it doesn't always make sense uh, for the story to like help certain people out and stuff like that. But it's just it's really fun to get into to everything and to see what everybody's up to. Ladies and gentlemen, We've been joined by the one, the only, Paris Lily, of the kind of funny X cast. Paris, Ooh. I know you. I, I, I'm pretty sure you've played Mass Effect before. You're a Mass Effect fan, is that correct? That is 100 percent correct. 
So what is it like for you jumping back in? I mentioned uh, at the top that it's been fun seeing people uh, in their reactions to, to finally getting their hands on Mass Effect uh, Legendary Edition uh, last night going into this morning. The thing, I repeated, uh, the thing I repeatedly saw were people talking about how uh, emotional of an experience it is, either seeing the, the, the start screen, uh, re-meeting the characters. I saw quite a few people, even Andy Cortez, posted a video of him on Twitch and like him getting emotional, getting back into the world. Uh, is it a, a similar uh, experience for you jumping back into Mass Effect now? Oh, very much so. It, it just feels like coming home. And for full disclosure, I skipped Mass Effect 1 and went straight to Mass Effect 2 because it's just one of my favorite games ever. And while it, you can see that it is an older game, that it's a 10 year old game, um, but I think EA and Bioware have done a great job of making little improvements to still make it feel like a modern game. Like ironically enough, it feels a little slow to me from what I remember as far as just the actual gameplay itself. But overall, it, it just takes a few minutes to get used to that. And, and you're right back into that, that headspace of Mass Effect. Like I just did my loyalty mission for Jack and yeah, all, just just all the feels, all the emotions, just just everything. I think the best thing about the Mass Effect trilogy is the characters and the storylines that you you all come together and you care. Like I had chills going through the Omega Four relay the very first time because I didn't want anyone to die. I wanted to successfully bring <laughs> everyone back. Just everything that goes to it. I play as a Fem Shep. I'm ruthless. I'm a Vanguard oh, yeah. from Earth. You know everything paragon all not paragon sorry uh renegade renegade everything. you know that's you know what i've been means? doing too yeah. our shepherds are very similar because my but, my shepherd gets the job done doesn't give a fuck yeah my shepherd's <laughs> a dick i mean just full disclosure yeah. he, he, he's a complete asshole 100 or she is 100 but uh yeah i i love it um like i said going through mass effect 2 now i'll, I'll go through three i'm not sure if i want to go back to one um even at the time in 07 as much as i loved it there was things about it that i didn't like and I felt all of those things got addressed in Mass Effect 2 and it just became the masterpiece that it was. So I'm on the fence if I'll actually go back to Mass Effect 1, but I'm loving 2 so far, head right on into 3, and I'm excited for the future of this universe. We talked about on XCast, which people will hear this Saturday, and Gary and I were talking about, Gary brought up the great point that this was a universe that was created out of nothing. There wasn't a book it was attached to. There wasn't any previous lore, anything. Bioware created this world from scratch. And it's a shame that we've not seen more from it in the past decade or so. We got Andromeda. That didn't work. So hopefully, uh, you know, they'll they'll get a, a second chance at this and continue this this great franchise and this universe they created with Mass Effect. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. How do you feel about the improvement specifically? Does the remaster part of this release does it live up to your expectations yeah it does it does it, it, it feels good it feels like a modern game even though i can see the legacy bits in there that show you know it's it's a little dated but you quickly forget those i think anyone that's brand new to the series they'll they'll be fine with it i feel like the controls are, are good i mean just all the different the, the adept weapons everything that you can do in Mass Effect as Shepard feels good. Um, the fact that you can control your companions and have their weapons and abilities going at the same time, it feels like a good action RPG. And um, I, I, I'm actually excited for people that have not played Mass Effect because I feel like 
they're about to discover this not so hidden gem, but it is a gem because you never played it. And I just think everyone's going to be really satisfied with the character moments that happen throughout this game and the choice, the difficult choices that you'll have to make throughout this entire trilogy. And uh, play the Shadow Broker DLC, please. It's one of the best DLCs ever made. You you will love that whole storyline as well. And by the time you roll credits on Mass Effect 3, I'll be shocked if anyone that plays this, they're not hooked and they're a fan. Oh, yeah. Barrett, Roger, Joey, Paris, thank you guys so much for coming through to talk about some Mass Effect. Uh, Paris, I do want you to stay for a second because sure. I have a question that I think uh, might apply to you a little bit here from Jordan Lee Rowan, who wrote it at patreon.com slash kind of funny games, just like you can, and says, it's Mass Effect Day, everyone. Will this re-release give Bioware some of its credibility back? Regardless of the upgrades in fidelity and performance, I think its best function will be reminding everyone, quote, oh yeah, Bioware, Bioware ruled once and they can rule again end quote paris coming off of the release the releases of mass effect andromeda anthem and now we're getting mass effect legendary edition do you feel like this is the one that's going to bring back bioware i hope so i'll say it that way i hope so i hope this can be a redemption for them to kind of wash away some of the mistakes they've had the past few years with anthem and uh, mass effect andromeda because it shows what that studio can do when they're at the top of their game and like I said before, Mass Effect deserves a second chance, you know, uh, with a brand new game. So I hope again, I hope this just brings people back for the nostalgia factor that have played it already. But brand new people, they get to see Matt or excuse me, they get to see Bioware at their peak, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I think so. I definitely think this can be a redemption for them. Tim, from what we've seen of people enjoying it, there's also I should also point out this article from Forbes that went up. Of course, if you look online right now, there aren't many reviews up of Mass Effect, and the biggest reason for that is that codes went out a little a little bit later, and there's what like 200 hours worth of gameplay in this thing, and so you're probably <laughs> going to see reviews trickle out over the next couple of weeks. But Forbes has an article right now that talks about how Mass Effect Legendary Edition is currently the best reviewed game of the year so far. It's Paul Tassi over there, and he writes about how uh, Mass Effect Legend Legendary Edition reviews are starting to trickle in, uh, but it's a bit of a slow pace due to the fact that a lot of people got copies rather late. And there's 200 or so hours of an entire trilogy to get through, depending on how you play. But early reviews that are here are painting Mass Effect Legendary Edition as a phenomenal experience. And at the time of this writing, it's, best, it's the best reviewed release of the year. Mass Effect currently shares a 91 on Metacritic and OpenCritic. Uh, when you compare that to other entrants in the year, you're looking at Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 Plus 2, which has 90, Disco Elysium, Final Cut that has 89, It, it Takes Two that has 88, etc., etc. Tim, for you, do you think it's possible? Do you think this is going to be the one that brings back Bioware? Uh, real quick, by Paris, he had to, he had to drop out. I yeah, saw him in the chat out. say that. Yeah, um, I, yo, totally. Yeah, this all it takes to turn a story around is one hit, right, and one good moment. And you can't really get a better moment than just remastering what you did before, right? What everyone loved you for in the first place. Uh, all the the goodwill and everything that's happening right now with Bioware with this release with everyone playing through these games, I think that's gonna give them a lot to, to kind of jump off. But it's on them to then follow through. So really the question is, what's the next game? What is the next project they're working on? And I do feel like even after Anthem, this is kind of all they really had to do to get a reset point for most people. Uh, but will that actually result in something worthwhile? That is the bigger question that I'm not so sure. I don't know if the team over at Bioware right now has what it takes to create these character moments that Paris just was telling us about that the original trilogy had again. Um, and until they prove that they can, we have to assume that they can't because that's just what we've had so far with both Andromeda and Anthem. So 
the it's really kind of on them of what they do next. But I expect that they know that, right? And I think that them even putting this out at the time that they did uh, is is very kind of telling of where they're at. They are looking for a reset point. They are, are looking for, you know, kind of something to, to wipe the bad taste out of people's mouths. And I definitely think this is it. Yeah, this has been the first win for Bioware in a very long time. I think that is the best thing that the Legendary Edition uh, has done for them, right? Like, I, I, I'm, I'm with you in, ter- in terms of the proof isn't in the pudding yet. You know, like the Bioware that that the Bioware that exists right now is completely different from the Bioware that did work on the Mass Effect trilogy, that did work on Mass Effect One, and the games that people truly love. And so. You know, does them putting out Legendary Edition mean that the next Bioware game is going to be one that lives up to the Mass Effect trilogy? Not necessarily, like not even nearly. Not you know? at all. But I, not at all. Yeah, and uh, the thing, the thing that I think this this uh, one does do is reignite people's passion. It's a good That's reminder of why people love 100%. the franchise, why people love the, these types of games. And for the next, you know, you talk about the, uh, what Bioware does next. They've already announced the next Dragon Age, and they've already announced the next Mass Effect, and mm-hmm. so they are presented with this opportunity to maybe try and deliver on something that brings people back to why they love these original games. And if they're able to, to, to deliver, that's awesome. It's going to be a tough task because again, different Bioware, they're coming off of a couple losses in a row, but we'll see. Like, I, I, I think at the very least that this does a really, this game is going to do a, is going to do a lot of heavy lifting in terms of reminding people why, why they did love Bioware back in the day at the very least. Yep. Totally. Hey, Tim. We got mm-hmm. many news stories to talk about that don't involve Mass Effect. I wanted to get that in the top because there wasn't a new, an actual news story, but I know people love Mass Effect and wanted to talk about mm-hmm. Mass Effect. Uh, but Tim, let's get into mm-hmm. the actual Roper Report. Today's stories include Sega working on a super game, Discord evolving <laughs> beyond gaming, and more because this is Kind of Funny Games Daily. Each and every week at 10 a.m. live right here on Twitch.tv slash Kind of Funny Games. We run you through the nerdy news you need to know about. If you're watching live, you can correct us when we get stuff wrong by going to kindoffunny.com slash you're wrong. If you don't want to watch live, you can watch later on youtube.com slash kindoffunnygames, roosteeth.com, or you can listen later on podcast services around the globe by searching for Kinda Funny Games daily. To be a part of the show, to patreon.com slash kindoffunnygames or bronze members or above, get to write in, and silver members or above, get the show ad-free with the exclusive daily post show. Housekeeping for you, today at 2 p.m. Pacific time on twitch.tv slash games. Greg, Nick, Mike, Joey, and Barrett are playing Poker Club <laughs> and giving away a whole bunch of codes for the game. Uh, and if you want to watch, you can get a custom kind of funny trophy and KF merch in-game. That sounds like a fantastic time watching the crew play poker, lie to each other, bluff. Will, be, will we be able to tell the bluffs? Does Greg have, have a tell? Does Kevin have a tell? All you have to stay tuned to find out. Uh, and that's, again, again, happening at 2 p.m. Pacific time. So come through twitch.tv slash kindoffunnygames. Yeah, Thank you to our like Patreon. A, like, like Bless just said, we're giving away a ton of codes for that. It's going to be a, a lot of fun. We're not doing an afternoon stream. We had to change some things around. So this will yes. be the stream for the day starting at 2 p.m. Please be there. Show up. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you to our Patreon producers, Blackjack and Tom Bach. Today we're brought to you by DoorDash and Burrow. But I'll tell you about that later. For now, let's begin with what is and forever will be the Rope Report. It's time for some news. We have six stories today. Ah, Baker's dozen. Starting with our number one, Sega says it plans to release a super game within the next five years. This is Chris Scolian at VGC. <laughs> Sega is planning to release what it's calling a super game within the next five years, according to a recent presentation. 
a results presentation for the fiscal year ending March 2021 broke broke down the company's recent financial results in detail, but also give an indication of Sega's plans for the next year and long-term future. This includes a five-year strategy called Creation of Super Game, which Sega suggests... <laughs> Which Sega suggests will start off with low profitability because it's a new IP, but has high growth potential because it'll be sold globally. The presentation suggests that while Sega prepares this super game, it will also release a, a number of new projects over the course of the next five years, including a new FPS title at a European studio and the utilization of IP assets in remakes, reboots, and remasters. The new FPS title is likely to be developed by Creative Assembly, which is currently hiring on its website for various roles for, quote, a brand new and exciting first-person shooter IP. According to the presentation, the old IP being considered for remasters, uh, remakes, and reboots includes the likes of Crazy Taxi, Jet Set Radio, Space Channel 5, Res, Virtual Fighter, Altered Beast, and Streets of Rage, as well as other dormant IPs. Elsewhere in the presentation, Sega declared its plans to, quote, strengthen existing IPs to build a solid structure in three years, citing Sonic, Fantasy Star Online 2, Persona 5, Yakuza, and Total War as its main brands. Sega also revealed that it, that it had sold around 4.4 million Sonic games in the past year, despite there being no Sonic games released in the past 12 months. It also sold around 4 million Total War games, 3.8 million Football Manager titles, and 3 million Persona games. Tim, there is so much we can talk about here. Uh, I'm going to start off with Sonic because I got to you. Of course, of course. Yes, good. When are we getting the new Sonic game? When are we getting the next Sonic game? I don't know. I don't know. And that's kind of the the biggest question for me. It's been so long, and I definitely feel like we're overdue for an announcement. Like, so even here, what you just said, 4.4 million Sonic games the past year, despite none being released. And not only none being released, none being talked about. We don't know what the next Sonic game is, and we have no idea. Is it Adventure 3? Is it Mania 2? Is it some new IP? Is it Forces 2? I hope not. But that's the thing is, I, I imagine that we are inching closer to getting some news about that. Like, is Sega confirmed for E3? Ooh, that's a very good question. Kindoffunny.com slash you're wrong, or you can look that up on the spot. But yeah, I, I'm I'm with you in terms of like yes, they here's are. my thing. They are okay. I think E3 for for Sega might have some noteworthy stuff. Judging from, from like from this strategy that they're putting out there, then talking them talking about remakes, reboots, and remasters. They're talking about that in regard to IPs that have been dormant, but I wouldn't be surprised if that did apply to Sonic, right? What if we got Sonic Adventure 1 and 2 remastered, remade in some form that modernized them? Or what if we did get some sort of remastered re releases for the first three Sonic games, you know, or Sonic Heroes? But if it, there's like there's a wealthy back catalog of those games and a, a bunch of uh, Sega games in general that they can go back to. And so them talking about that, I think, makes a lot of sense and it is very exciting. You know, that's actually really interesting, Bless, the the idea of, you know, back in the, like, PS2, GameCube, Xbox era, that was a kind of the, the birth of the, the collections being normalized. Like, we had Super Mario All-Stars on the Super Nintendo, but it was really that generation that kind of went back of these retro collections that you can get, the, the Genesis collection or the whatever, and uh, they packaged all the 2D Sonic games, like, in, in different packs, I remember. I forget what they were called. Uh, but there hasn't been a 3D collection. And I think that that could be a very interesting thing where they've they've remastered uh, and ported Sonic Adventure uh, 1 and 2 to Xbox Live Arcade and things like that. But packaging them all in one place where you, you do get that entire era of Sonic Heroes and, and all of that, that could be really yeah, interesting. Sonic I think 
there would there would definitely be an, an audience for for that type of package and i don't think it would require that much uh work to get it together um but then on top of that i do think that we're going to get a new sonic game I, I imagine we're getting a new sonic game announcement at this e3 mm-hmm. now what else do you think is going to be at this e3 because they, like, they lay out from sega yeah because they lay out a lot of good potential here right elsewhere in the presentation sega declared his plans to strengthen existing ips and they talked about not only sonic they talked about fantasy star online 2 persona 5 yakuza uh etc we've gotten a lot from yakuza over the years persona 5 we just got persona 5 strikers i wouldn't be in fact i'm gonna go ahead and state confidently that i don't think this is gonna be like i don't think that's gonna be the last release for, for persona 5 judging on how they usually treat the persona games persona 4 had tons of games come after it from dancing to finding games to persona q and, and and all different sorts of releases i think persona 5 uh still has a lot a lot left in the tank you know i wouldn't be surprised to see a persona 5 fighting game we already did get a persona 5 dancing game uh who knows what more ideas they might have for that what if we did get a persona 5 kart racer you know like there's something that they can do with that uh still from sega like what do you what do you think might be there for them so here's the thing and and this is i think kind of my my age showing a lot and like my dated way of thinking when it comes to just association of companies but i do think that we're going to get another Jet Set Radio at some point. And I think them mentioning this that franchise by name in this like is kind of evidence of that. Having said that, I don't think all of these games are going to come back. Like I don't necessarily think we're ever really going to see another Altered Beast. If we see another Space Channel 5, it'll probably be something like a mobile game or a port or whatever. It's not going to be something crazy. Uh, crazy Taxi as well. I can see them trying to do a reboot of Crazy Taxi or like have fun with it and modernize it in a, in a weird way. Um, but Jet Set Radio is is the one that I'm like... There's something there, and uh, I know that there's a, a not fan made, but there's like a spiritual uh, successor yes. out there that uh, was announced last year at called. some point. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised. And again, this is where the old person association comes into play. But Xbox had exclusivity on Jet Set Radio Future, and the the, the second game, the, the last mm-hmm. game that we've had from the franchise. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Xbox partnered up with Sega. Um, for a jet set game and like imagine seeing that at an xbox conference somewhere you know um i saw denny pena was tweeting about this as well on twitter and i feel like me and him are both in a similar place where it's like yeah th- that association is there it wouldn't surprise me if, if we got that um right. and i think that that stands out compared to the rest of these franchises being named in this section about old ip doesn't do you, that sound do more you like think a it... mega game instead of a, uh, you know, <laughs> oh, super, oh my I God. forgot the word they used. God, super, super game. game. Super game. <laughs> we will talk about the super game in a second because we definitely got, got to touch on that. But for the conversation we're having, the I'm I'm curious to see what IP they bring back. Because Jet, Jet Set Radio is one that I would love because I did love Jet Set Radio Future. I have really good memories with that game. That one is one that I don't know how you would modernize. Because I think that one is so much of its era in terms of it being this like extreme sports game, but also a 3D platformer in a sense and kind of controlling very clunky. You know, it, it having a wonderful style and a wonderful soundtrack. And, and I think the stylistic elements are the things that people love the most and that people have the most nostalgia for. The actual gameplay of Jet Set Radio, I wonder how I wonder what they would do to actually make it stand out today or feel good to play today. Because I think that would be the biggest challenge is making that game translate in 2021. Um, but like to the point of the other games that they mentioned here, it's interesting to see what franchises they consider dormant because we just got a Streets of Rage last mm-hmm. year. Uh, 
yeah. we even got a new Space Channel 5 last year in the form of a VR game that I played for PS I Love You and wasn't that good. But like those aren't necessarily dormant, dormant franchise. Maybe they're just talking about franchise that aren't as active as things like Yakuza and, and uh, Persona and, and Sonic. Um, but even still, the ways in which they bring these these franchises back, I think it's going to be interesting because I, I, totally. I these are all franchises that I don't know, aside from Streets of Rage, which I think has found a groove uh, with the last one. With the rest of them, I don't know how you bring back a new Crazy Taxi. You know, I don't know well, how you bring back a Jet Set Radio. I don't know how you bring back um, uh, a well, Virtual Fighter. I do know how you bring back. You just yeah. make a good fighting game. But yeah. Altered Beast, you know, like how do you bring these games back? Well, and Res, we we also got a, a couple of years ago on yes. PSVR as well. So it's like they've brought some of these back and 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 tried their best uh, to to make them make sense in today's landscape. But yeah, that to me really kind of leads to this idea of this mega game. What? Yeah, <laughs> For a super game super game yeah coming in the next five years like, that sounds to me the like they're fuck? trying to they want to have a new big tentpole franchise but i wonder what that looks like for sega like does that look like another persona or does that look like a last of us like what does they what like how do you define a super game like what comes to mind when you say super game i mean what comes to mind is triple a but what's interesting there is like a sega triple a game that they are expecting low profitability off because it's a new ip it's like I, I don't even know. And that they're implying that this is different than their new FPS, the new IP FPS that uh, they're going to be working on. So yeah. I don't know. This is one of those things where when we see reports like this, it's often hard to actually look at the words and take anything salient from it because the, the way things are phrased is so clunky and awkward. Um, like even here when you were naming the different IP and then it says as well as other dormant IPs, you could read that in different ways. Of, yeah. Are, are they referring to those as dormant IPs or are they saying those as well as other games that are dormant IPs that combined with what this super game is and all this stuff? It's like, we'll just have to see what Sega decides to do. And I imagine at E3, they're going to have some type of announcements. I don't expect much. I don't expect there to be like a press, a Sega press conference or anything, but mm. I can see them kind of popping through throughout, like just dropping trailers. Yeah, very excited to see what we get from Sega at E3. I'm excited for E3 in general. With each passing day of each of these companies talking about what their plans for the future, we're in a very good we're in a very good place. I think for, for video game news and talking about video games because we just finished that financial quarter, and so periodic periodically we've been getting these financial presentations and results and all that stuff, and it's been very fun to go, kind of go through and speculate on what the totally. fuck are these guys talking about when they what say are they trying to actually say here? What what's they, real? What are they what's just to us? like talking to investors to make them sound excited by naming a lot of IPs that they actually aren't going to do shit with. Exactly. Tim, let's move over to story number two. Discord is evolving beyond gaming, but it is still excited to work with PlayStation. This is Matt Kim at IGN. Discord is celebrating its sixth anniversary today, and I should shout out that this was written yesterday. So they celebrated their sixth anniversary yesterday. To mark the occasion, the company invited the press to get a sneak preview of its upcoming feature, Stage Discovery, a tool that on the surface appears to move Discord towards becoming a true social media service. Discord is no longer just a gamer chat app. According to the company, 78% of active users say they use Discord for non-gaming activities. This could potentially be why Discord reportedly ended negotiations to be, be acquired by Microsoft, though the company wouldn't discuss any rumors about those talks with IGN. The stage discovery feature builds on the recently launched stage channels feature Discord launched earlier this year. 
A typical Discord experience might be a couple of friends in the same voice channel talking about their hobbies, but stage channels lets members of a community host, host a panel or, sta- or a stage show uh, or a presentation in front of a virtual audience. And I'm going I'm to um, uh, pause there in the story and say that that sounds very much like Clubhouse or the Twitter spaces. Yeah, Twitter spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like a very comparable feature there. Back to the story. Quote, Stage Discovery does use an algorithm that will, that will recommend uh, to you events that are live that you might be interested in, says Park. But where algorithms and services like TikTok require users to scroll through video after video, Discord hopes that Stage Discovery will connect users to new communities and maybe even new hobbies pretty directly without any unnecessary searching. Stage Discovery isn't specifically a feature geared towards gamers, and Park says Discord's emphasis on connecting users to new communities is backed up by internal research and focus testing. That isn't to say Discord is abandoning games altogether. Discord founder Jason Citrin repeatedly emphasized Discord's gaming roots and DNA during his speech, and Discord recently announced that PlayStation acquired a minority stake in the company with the intention of, with the, intention of the two brands working together. Park hinted that one of the one of the things Discord has heard from users who use the platform for gaming is that there are still barriers that prevent that prevent them from playing with anyone, regardless of what platform they're on. Quote, again, I can't speak to specifically what we're doing with PlayStation or, or other consoles, but we're really excited to work with PlayStation moving forward and explore what it could mean around making it easier for gamers to find belonging on Discord. End quote. Cool. Yeah, this makes. I think this all makes sense. Discord leaning away from being purely a gaming app, with them having such a high user base and seemingly the user base not being completely devoted to gaming, that uh, makes makes a lot of sense. Also interesting. To see, also also fun to see that despite that they went ahead and are are partnering with PlayStation to better their thing. Because you imagine that that is one a big money move, but then also a great opportunity to make sure that on the PlayStation side you're creating options for people who want to do crossplay and other things. Yeah, you know, it's interesting with all this. Like, I I have some hesitancy with it where I look at it and I'm like, well, I feel like you kind of are killing it in the game space, but there's still an education process that I feel like they haven't killed where they, I feel like the pitch for Discord and what it actually is is still not clear unless you're really into gaming, right? And I think that it has the potential to be way more mainstream as it is in the gaming space. And especially as gaming's growing, I feel like kind of starting other verticals at this point in my opinion is a little early obviously i'm not on the inside i'm a fucking idiot so what do i what do i know but uh with this i i just feel like they should focus on the gaming stuff a little longer and and kind of cement it a little more before moving into these other other areas but uh we'll see how it all goes Mm -hmm. do you feel like they've not hit max potential in gaming because i think within the last really within the last year i feel like anybody anybody who's like I guess hardcore in the gaming space and even so many people who are casual in the gaming space are aware of discord and probably use discord you know like discord that, is pretty much the ubiquitous chat app for for gamers. hardcore people that's the thing is i'm saying it should be the ubiquitous chat across the board and mm-hmm. i feel like it can be easily and it it will be i think and especially with these type of partnerships but it's like that's the thing is it's like people need to understand what discord is and how it works and i feel like there, there hasn't been a great job of me explaining this to my friends of what this is and them using it to play their games because they're just playing games using party chat on their systems. You know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. like, th- it'd be such an easy win to get that. It's just a matter of figuring out the way to market it correctly. Gotcha. Story number three, Tim. 
Housemark's mm-hmm. searching for a solution for Returnal's no-save option problem. Uh, this is from Cat Billy at IGN. Before I even get into it, Tim, have you been playing more Returnal? Have you, and if so, like, have you have you had updated feelings about the save situation? Has been bothering you? No, well, not so much. I, I've been playing just a little bit. I haven't really devoted too much more more time to it. I, it's one of those games that I've decided I'm not beating, but I am having mm-hmm. a lot of fun playing. It's like gotcha, Dead Cells gotcha. to me more than a Hades. Mm-hmm. Do you still feel like the I, I forget if we if I've talked to you about this before on on air, but where do you stand on the whole save situation? Do you feel like the game needs a save for how you play the game? I mean, I I've always been a big proponent of options in games, and when it comes to saving and things like that, it's like I definitely think that they should be a feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, this is what Cat Bailey has to say about it over on IGN. Tell me. Autosave has been a hot topic of conversation among Returnal players since its release last month. Housemark's roguelite is excellent, but it's also very hard, and runs can last for more than two hours. That's a long time to anchor yourself to your PlayStation 5. Housemark says it's heard the feedback from fans, but that implementing a save feature is easier said than done. Quote, we understand that there are some systems in place that are currently a a hindering factor, Housemark marketing director Mikhail Havari told Axios today. Havari's comments dampen hopes of a solution that would enable players to quit without fear of losing their progress. While other roguelites like Hades includes a, a quick save solution that retains the tension of permadeath, it's clearly not so easy to implement such a feature in Returnal. As one of the first so-called AAA roguelites, Returnal stands out for its beautiful visuals, arcade mechanics, and storytelling features. Still, difficult as it is, Havari says Housemark is looking for a solution. Quote, but currently, we just don't know exactly what that is. So it's very difficult to announce anything, because I think there's a lot of different people looking for different things, end quote. So they're looking for a solution, they're just having a little bit of trouble getting there, which makes sense. Development is hard, you know, like... it. For for so many people, for me as a player, you know, in my head, I'm I I I think there's a part of me that I'd like to think that it's as easy as like, oh yeah, just put an auto save after entering each room, you fixed it, it's done. But of course, on the development side, there's so much more that goes into it that we don't see, right? When it gets into the ones and zeros and the actual actual programming of it and making sure that it's balanced and all that stuff, I'm sure that shit is very difficult. But I do love to see that the they are hearing people, and I know they put up the Reddit post a few weeks ago, uh, a couple of days after the game came out, where they were like, hey, we hear you, we see you. We're we're uh, figuring this out, and we'll come back to you guys soon. Uh, and so it's nice to see that they're listening to the audience. Yeah, man, it's the definitely a complicated situation. Like all these things, where you know there's an audience for your product, and when they are vocal, you need to kind of listen to what they're saying and make decisions. And I think that uh, in recent times with social media and stuff, the ability to kind of create a very large group of people yelling loudly has been easier than ever, which has resulted in more change than ever and more actual like um developments and things like the snyder cut and whatever um i don't think that it's always going to be the case and i think that here you look at it it's like it isn't as simple as people think and there is more that goes into it all um but that's kind of the risk you you roll you roll when you put a product out there like people are going to have opinions Mm -hmm. on it and even if they love the game there's still going to be things they don't love about it and it's kind of on you to decide you had this vision, but was your vision the right vision? Should you change your vision? Lots of questions up in the board, and I don't think it's always going to be... There's not always the same answer. Like, But I, I, I think that for them, they're look, clearly looking at this and trying to find what the right answer is to give the people what they want, but also stay true to what their vision is for their, their product. And I think that's the best way to go. Yeah, and it's such a difficult thing, too. The article points out that... Um... Uh, they they quote here, right? As one of the first so-called AAA roguelites, and they talk about Returnal, that's the thing that... 
I think we don't uh, we we've not highlighted it as much. This is a triple A roguelite, which is mm -hmm. unheard of, which must be a which must have been and continues to be a Herculean task in terms of developing developing it, figuring out what that looks like, figuring out what that looks like for a wide audience, the PlayStation first first party audience. You know, like that's a big undertaking, and for them to get it as right as they as they did is one very impressive. Uh, mm -hmm. But then two, I think is obviously going to come with some things where you got to kind of got to figure out, right? Like how do you how do you do a save system in this thing that is going to be for such a wide audience, but also you know what you want it to stick to the core of what makes a roguelite a roguelite. I'm sure that comes with so many things. But with that quote also, Tim, do you think we're going to get more AAA roguelites? Because we've come off of Hades last <laughs> year, which was one of the biggest games of the year. We're getting Returnal, which seems like it's going to be one of the biggest games of the year. And roguelites have been a thing that a bit big um, risen to prominence more and more, especially over the last generation with games like Dead Cells, Rogue Legacy, uh, Binding of Isaac, and plenty of others. Do you think this? Do you think Returnal is the start of seeing more AAA roguelites? I I think we're hitting a saturation point where it's going to become less a genre and more just kind of an aspect of other genres like we saw happen to rpgs a couple generations ago where there's just going to be roguelike elements in games and i think that's going to get into the the AAA side of things in the same way we saw open world or semi-open worlds or like all the all the buzzy genre new genres type things right they pop up and then eventually get assimilated into others i do think that with returnal kind of upping the budget and uh being a a a different type of game like it not being a uh you know top-down isometric or a uh, 2d platformer it being a, a 3d for first per third or person third person shooter, shooter yeah. is like okay we're kind of taking this in a different direction and i do think that returnal is going to signify a kind of new batch of these types of games that are kind of applying the roguelike thing to different genres that we're familiar with or different gameplay styles um but i don't know I don't know how big that gets because I think that at some point it's just you take these elements and the biggest games are going to try them out. Like, I wouldn't be surprised to see some type of Assassin's Creed that has these elements. Like, you know, like that's just how the industry works. But it won't be all of them. It'll just be bits and pieces. And then I think that at some point it will again, the middle ground will explode out and we'll get the indie games that are going back to the 2D platformer type of roguelikes. And then they, the elements will be in the big AAA games. But I think that we're in this this moment right now where Returnal started something, we're going to get a couple more of those, but I don't think it's going to be something that's here to stay. I really like that answer. I like the idea of games, like when I, playing through Returnal and playing through roguelites in general, whenever I'm playing a roguelite, I often have the thought of like, man, what if, what if X game, but roguelite, you know, what if I could, mm. what if I had by, what if one of my favorite games had a roguelite mode? And, you know, that's not to say that like, I want the next, uh uh like assassin's creed in the next breath of the wild to be a roguelite but like i, I like the I, I like the idea of games adopting that and figuring out how, how to take the elements of these that people love and doing that you know like in, in breath of the wild one they had the dlc that was the was it the the, the trials of the sword i think that's what mm -hmm. it was where you would go through the rooms and you would start off with with zero items and with each room you would defeat enemies and gain items and all that stuff you know, like, what if there was a mode where it was randomized and it was very much a pure test of skill and it felt like an arcade experience? Uh, I do hope we see we see more of that. We see more, like, more more developers take ideas from this type of thing because I think I think there's something there. I think there's something there that people can really can really dig into and really enjoy. Tim, mm -hmm. you know what I really enjoy? Ad what? breaks. Woo! Let us tell you about our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by DoorDash. Do you really want to go out and get food? All right, Kevin, do you want to go out and get food right now or you want somebody to bring you food? 
Uh, bring me food. Ladies and gentlemen, you ain't no hunter or gatherer. Let somebody else do all the work. Use DoorDash. Did you forget that one thing at the store? Now you can get snacks, drinks, and household essentials in 30 minutes with DoorDash. Dinner? Check. Deodorant? Check. Morning pick-me-up from Dunkin'? Check. Get everything you need whenever you need it with DoorDash. You want Chinese, they want pizza, and someone is craving Froyo? There is something for everyone on DoorDash. How do I know so much about DoorDash? Because I'm Greg Miller, and I use DoorDash all the time. I got the Dash Pass, so I don't pay for delivery. Sometimes Jen and I go in there, we're like, what do we want for dinner? We don't know what we want for dinner. We don't know what we want for dinner. So we look at the, what's being recommended, we pick from there. It's great, and it's different, and it comes to us, and it's hot, and you get to track them as they come, and they tell you where it is in the process. DoorDash is great. Now, you can get the grocery store essentials you need with DoorDash, too. Get drinks, snacks, and other household items delivered in under an hour. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app. Choose what you want from where you want it, and your items will be left safely outside your door with their contactless delivery drop-off setting. With over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Australia, and now Canada, you can support your neighborhood go-tos or choose from your favorite national chain restaurants like Popeye's, Chipotle, and Cheesecake Factory. A long time ago, I thought it was Chipotle but it's Chipotle. Did you know that, Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> for a limited time, for a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code GAMES2021. For our Canadian listeners, use the code GAMESCA. That's 25% off, up to a $10 value, and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code GAMES2021 in the U.S. US and games CA in Canada. Don't forget games 2021 in the US games CA in Canada for 25% off your first order with DoorDash subject to change terms apply. Our next sponsor, ladies and gentlemen, is Burrow. If you haven't heard us talk about Burrow furniture lately, you haven't listened to Tim Gettys talk about his couch. What does he talk about all the time? It's got a USB charger built in. He loves that. But Burrow's even better than that. Most of us haven't found our forever home, which makes buying furniture a double-edged sword. You're either buying some cheap futon that you'll just leave out on the curb someday, or you're investing in an inexpensive sofa that might last forever, but definitely becomes a pain in the butt when it's time to move. You think someone would have figured out how to create quality furniture built for the way we act actually live wherever we live well someone has it's burrow burrow is easy to shop for shop for everything you need for your living room online no far-flung warehouses no high pressure sales people plus burrow's world-class support team is available for you whenever you need them it's easy to assemble and it's easy to move burrow's innovative modular design and super helpful instructions make assembling and disassembling your furniture quick and hassle-free and when it's time to move your burrow furniture won't hold you back uh kevin you've known tim a long time and you always call him a big old dum-dum he had no problem installing this furniture that means it's pretty simple, right? Yep. Designed for the way you live, their credenzas are actually tall enough to fit next-gen consoles standing vertically. Their award-winning Nomad Sofa has Tim's built-in USB charger for all-day power. Plus, you get fast and free shipping on every order. It saves you an average of $100 on large items like a couch and a logistics headache. Right now, you can get $75 off your first order at burrow.com slash games. That's burrow, B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash games for $75 off your burrow purchase. Burrow dot com slash games tim let's talk mm-hmm. about story number four Please. uh microsoft has ruled out dolby vision gaming uh on xbox series x and s currently it's a test uh this is from john porter at 
The Verge. Uh, Dolby Vision Gaming is arriving on the Xbox Series X and S for testers who are part of the Xbox Insider's Alpha Ring Group. Uh, this HDR format offers an upgraded set of features like support for dynamic metadata. Microsoft says the feature means brighter highlights, sharper contrast, and more vibrant colors in games when you're playing on a Dolby Vision-compatible D- TV, offering better clarity in both light and dark scenes. The consoles currently support HDR via the less advanced HDR10 standard. We've known Microsoft's current generation of Xboxes would support Dolby's HDR standards since before the console's release. Last September, Dolby announced that they'd be the first consoles to support the the Dolby Vision HDR format with dynamic metadata for gaming. Sony's PS5, meanwhile, currently does not support Dolby Vision. As well as improvements in picture quality, Microsoft says Dolby Vision support should be easier to configure for, uh, for users, quote, Dolby Dolby Vision games automatically map to any display with Dolby Vision. You're always seeing the best possible picture available, the company says. Quote, this means no more sliders to adjust your picture settings. However, it advises that testers might need to update their TVs, uh, TV's firmware to take full advantage of the technology. Tim Geddes, you're the person who I hear talk about Dolby the most. How excited does this make you? Um, I mean, here's the thing. Mm. Excited isn't the word. I'm happy this is happening. I wish it happened earlier. I wish it was standardized. There are a few things that frustrate me more than tech not being standardized across the board when it comes to these type of advancements. And between HDR as a whole and USB-C as a whole, there's nothing that frustrates me more. How is it a universal if it's not universal, you motherfuckers? Come on. How are there USB-C cables that do different things? It's so stupid. And the problem here is it's kind of a HD DVD versus Blu-ray situation where we had different people coming out trying to push things forward, and that's HDR10, Dolby Vision, kind of go in different directions, blah, blah, blah. The biggest problem is that then especially where where we're at now where there's a a generation shift between consoles tvs technology all this stuff even hdmi the hdmi 2.1 standard right like that's a new thing so be able to really take advantage of all this stuff you need a lot of different parts in your system to be to be compatible with all this shit and i swear to god more often than not there's one part of the line that isn't compatible with Dolby Vision or isn't compatible with HDR10 or whatever. And it's just frustrating as all hell. And it's been the issue even with uh, the next-gen consoles with the 4K Blu-ray discs. We're even playing, like, there's it's a whole bunch of different combinations of, well, it works on the Xbox, but it, but it doesn't work on the PlayStation. But on streaming apps, it works on PlayStation, but doesn't work on Xbox. And it's just a fucking mess. What's exciting about this is right now, this is the first time we're getting Dolby Vision for games. And that is going to be awesome because I imagine that is going to be the closest thing we have to a standard going forward. Dolby Vision seems to be the thing that people are backing the most. Um, And combined with Dolby Atmos, I'm loving that Xbox seems to get that and and wants to get it right and is partnering and pushing them and and caring about that. Because on the PlayStation side, we have that 3D audio. We have the Tempest uh, audio engine and and what they're doing. They're definitely focusing more on the headset point of view uh, of everything. But I'm liking this. I'm hoping it goes further. So again, it's it's hard for me to be excited about this because I wish it was just solved before. But I'm happy at least it's happening. And I honestly didn't expect to see it this soon because I kind of just expected the worst. Mm-hmm. So would you say this is the... Like, is, is your... Would you say that, that you want this to be the standard in terms of, like, this is the best option available? Or, like... like yes. what's your what, Okay. 
gotcha. I, I think there's pros and cons when it comes to the different HDR, like 10, 100, all that stuff, and then Dolby Vision and all this. But I think the Dolby Vision overall, especially because they they also have the Dolby Atmos side and those just partner really well together. Um, mm. I think Dolby is is the the way to go and what is my preferred standard going forward. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Well, cool. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, let's move on to story number five. Disco Elysium Final Cut has been finally cleared for release in Australia. This is Marie de la Sangerie at GamesIndustry.biz. Disco Elysium, a final cut, uh, the final cut, will be, will be able to release on consoles in Australia as the title finally obtained a rating and will be unbanned in the country. The Australian Classification Board rejected the expanded edition of Zaum's hit back in March, but this decision has since been reviewed by the Classification Review Board. As reported by Kotaku Australia, the decision has now been reverted and the game will be releasing with an R18 plus rating, which makes it legally restricted to adults. The game's themes, mature language, and drug references were the main reasons for the title's initial rejection, but in the document explaining their decision, the board wrote that Disco Elysium offers a, quote, nuanced representation of the subject matter, which tailors the storytelling to a mature audience, end quote. It added that the game doesn't necessarily encourage players to take drugs, as they eventually lead to negative effects despite a short-term benefit, which is why the board ultimately decided to approve the game. So if you're in Australia, look forward to playing Disco Elysium. If you're an adult, if you're a kid, you got to wait. You got to wait. wait. Honestly, if you're a kid, you shouldn't be playing Disco Elysium anyway. That shit will probably bore you because like that, <laughs> Disco Elysium is a fucking adult ass game. That shit is like reading a, a, a novel about politics and, and uh, um, uh, amnesia. <laughs> but it's great. It's great. Highly recommend wow. Disco Elysium as a game to play. It's very fantastic. And I, when we last reported on this, it was me and Greg on the show, and they were talking about how the game was going to be banned in Australia. And at the time, I was like, wow, this must be a cool-ass game to play. And let me tell you, while playing the game, I was like, yeah, this is a cool-ass game to play. They're doing drugs every other minute in this game. They love drugs in this game, <laughs> Tim. It's great. Mm-hmm. Also, Kuno, as the character, Kuno is the character in the game. Oh, my God, Kuno goes crazy in that game. Let me tell you. That man. Oh, Kuno. That Classic kid, he's Kuno. an adult classic kuno man so go play disco elysium if that's your type of game or even if you just want to try out uh, a fun game where he plays a detective trying to solve a murder it's pretty cool story number six is our last story for the roper report ghost runner 2 has been announced this is from marcus stewart at game informer dystopian cyberpunk action game ghost runner is getting a sequel 505 games announced ghost runner 2 today giving fans of the brutal yet stylish adventure a new challenge to test the reflexes against Sadly, the announcement doesn't share any details on gameplay, story, nor a release window. All we know is that Ghost Runner 2 is planned to launch on the PS5, Xbox Series X slash S, and PC. 505 Games will assume full publishing duties after acquiring the IP uh, and replacing all in-games who published the first game. Speaking, speaking of which, the press release also reiterates that the original Ghost Runner is still coming to new-gen consoles before the end of the year. So look forward to that. I'm sure Andy Cortez is very excited about it. I'm very excited about it because yep. I really liked Ghost Runner. Uh, Tim, did you play Ghost Runner the first one? Uh, just a little bit, and it's fucking awesome. It's one yeah. of the I need to go back to it when I have a moment games for sure. I haven't deleted it from my dashboard. I'm like, yeah. this is this is rad as fuck. And it getting a sequel, that's just fantastic news. It's the perfect type of game that is like, well, the first one was good, but the second one really kind of made it like stand out. And I feel like you can have like an Assassin's Creed 2 moment on a smaller scale. Obviously, sure. you're not that big of a publisher developer, but still. 
Yeah, Ghost Runner One was uh, was a really fun game, really fun, really really fun first game in a franchise. And I'm with you that I, I think a Ghost Runner Two could improve on it so much in terms of what they do with story and world building and all this stuff. Like the first one, I liked purely for the gameplay. It had that fun, almost Hotline Miami. Like if you get hit once, you're done, but all your enemies get uh, killed in the hit, and you're wall jumping and going and going uh, uh, super fast. That super fast speed. It's a very fun game that I'm I'm excited to see more from. But Tim, a new Ghost mm-hmm. Ghost Runner. It's just so far away. Oh. If I wanted to know what's coming out to Mom and Grop shops today, where would I look? The official list of upcoming software across each and every platform as listed by the Kind of Funny Games Daily Show host each and every weekday. Out today, we got Mass Effect Legendary Edition for PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Subnautica Below Zero for PS5, PS4, Xbox Series X slash S, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Karma Incarnation 1 for Xbox One. Exodemon for Xbox One. Rabisco Plus for Switch. Famicom Detective Club, The Girl Who Stands Behind for Switch. Hashtag wish travel or pound wish travel is the sign. It's the sign with the two lines. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, wish travel, super puzzles dream for Switch. Instant sports tennis for Switch. Number one anagrams for Switch. Bounce mania for Switch. Famicom Detective Club, the missing air for Switch. And then Subnautica is out today for Switch. We got, a, we got two new days for you. Grindstone will release on PC via the Epic Game Store on May 20th. And then Viscera Fest comes to Steam Early Access on May 20th. Deal of the day for you, beginning Viscera today Fest. through May 23rd. All Hitman 3. Yeah, that sounds crazy, right, Kevin? Hitman 3 players can play the, the, the Icon mission in Sapienza for free. Uh, the Icon is a bonus mission from the original Hitman. Tim, people can go to patreon.com slash kind of funny games where they can get the show ad free but they can also write in with their questions just like parker petrov did parker petrov wrote in with two questions but we only got time to answer one uh and so tim i'm gonna ask you do you want to talk about microsoft possibly announcing new studio acquisitions or do you want to talk about playstation exclusives and whether or not we're going to get a lot more difficult games from playstation from here from here on out which one playstation or xbox Uh, how you feeling let's go xbox Let's go with Xbox. Parker Petrov writes in and says this. Happy Friday, kind of funny. We're now less than a month away from E3, and I'm cautiously starting to get a little excited over the prospect of what could be unveiled. As of late, there is one thing Microsoft loves to do. Announce studio acquisitions at E3. What is your personal over-under on us seeing any kind of studio acquisition announcement, and who do you think it would be? Tim, do you think we're going to get a new announced Microsoft first-party studio at E3? Well, here's the thing. Is that true? Have they announced studio acquisitions at E3? I, don't know I might be wrong. totally, I, yeah. It's I, hard might be totally I mean, we didn't have E3 this. last year, and so we've not gotten yeah. one in a year. But I, I'm, if I remember correctly, it was just them kind of organizing the, like they were on stage talking about the studios they had acquired, but I don't think there was any breaking news of them acquiring someone. Chad is saying, Chad is like giving a very The first yes. six and double fine. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. saying double fine. A little hazy theory. on that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I do remember Phil Spencer there with all the, the logos and stuff. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if I guess they did that. But um, I mean, me saying this right now, I don't expect them to announce a new studio acquisition uh, at, yeah. at this E3. I feel like if they were going to, I feel like this E3 is very much them 
I mean, and again, I, I don't know how many times I can even say this, but how many times have we went into E3's conference or E3 and been like, this is going to be Microsoft's. They're going to fucking do it. They're going to announce all the games. And then that never happens. But like, here I am again. This is going to be the one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is the first everything. E3 since acquiring Bethesda, right? And so like, you've had you've had quite a few new studios for years. You've had Ninja Theory for years now. You've had Double Finder. You've had a whole slate of studios for years now. You just acquired Bethesda. I feel like if there's any E3 to lay out a solid game plan for what game releases look like it'd be this e3 and so i think i think they're in that mode i think if they're going to announce a new studio acquisition at most it'll probably be one new studio and i know saying this i'm going to eat my words people are going to bring back this clip after microsoft's e3 and we're like they announced five new studios but i don't as of right now i don't expect it all right i expect maybe one new studio at the very most i had the mm -hmm. ongoing theory forever that they were going to acquire don't nod and after the latest story we had about don't nod either earlier this week or last last week where they talked about how they don't want to be acquired by anybody and they've had acquisition talks and they've said no. I assume those acquisition talks were probably Square Enix and or Microsoft. Uh, and it seems like those, those just didn't go through because they like being independent. And so I've written that off as a thing that's just not going to happen. That being the case, I don't know who Microsoft, Microsoft would acquire at this point, right? Like, is there I mean, any there studio that we feel would be appropriate for acquisition right now? Yeah, totally. I mean, the thing is there's a ton that they could acquire. But will they? That's the bigger question. I, I think that we might see. I'm more willing to bet that we'll see partnerships announced at E3 yes, than at full on sense. acquisitions. And I think that, especially with what you're talking about, Bless, if like it's time to talk about games, I think partnerships allow them to talk about games. It allows them to be like, we're partnering with Capcom to do this or whatever, right? Um, but acquisition wise, like, I don't think it's going to happen. But Sega, in my opinion, Sega is going to get acquired by somebody someday. I don't think now's the time, and I don't even necessarily think yeah. Microsoft's the one to do it. But them giving, I give, do them think giving it's their financial report uh, and laying out what seems like a solid plan for them makes me think that Sega is, is at least they, they're not in talks right now to get acquired. But yeah, down the line, I could see that being the case. And talking about partnerships, I think there's plenty of potential. Yeah, like yeah. there was a rumored Kojima thing that Kojima but might have been making a game for Microsoft. I want to I want to say this because at, again, at some point, is another thing that I think will happen is Konami, like. Whoever buys Konami and gets access to all of their IP, like that is a fucking come up. But you're essentially at that point buying for IP more so than necessarily buying for buying for teams. Yeah. yeah. Um, but again, like I, I think that there's a, a clear value there. It's just who's going to get that value. Yeah. But can you imagine if is... it was Xbox? Can you imagine? Oh my god! Yeah. I mean, that would that would be wild, and that would be another. I mean, that would be a conversation on the level of Bethesda, right? Like that changes the game in that in that way. Uh, and I think the conversation with Konami would probably be more about, hey, Konami, like say on Microsoft, right? Hey, Konami, I want to, we want to acquire all your major gaming IP. We'll still let you make your pachinko machines with them, but we want to acquire these things because they're dormant for you in terms of the, the actual game development space. So you imagine for Konami, if they're making Metal Gear Solid pachinko machines and, and, and all this stuff, having games out there to, to uh, promote that stuff and keep that stuff active makes complete sense because people love Metal Gear Solid for the games. So if you don't have Metal Gear Solid games coming out, how well is that doing for having a Metal Gear Solid pachinko machine? You know, and so those, I think those talks have to be happening in, in, in some way, whether it's acquisition or partnering. I can also see Microsoft going, cool, let's, par let's partner with Kojima and then also uh, be the liaisons for Kojima uh and kojima and konami so that we we as microsoft can get the silent hills ip from konami and give it to kojima to work on with the creative freedom of kojima under microsoft there there are plenty of options on the table for that and i i do think 
in terms of partnerships i know we're, we have our e3 games cast predictions coming up and i feel like i'm spilling the beans on some shit uh-huh. but i could easily see a prediction of oh yeah this e3 is the e3 where microsoft they open up and the first thing you see kojima walking down some lit ass stairs and being mm-hmm. like cool silent hill on the screen kojima's bringing it back baby it's time silent hill is an exclusive for xbox by kojima now Fucking here's crazy. the thing I love that. I love that. And people mm-hmm. have lied before and things have happened. But Konami did say they're backing out of E3. Yeah, but like I'm, Konami as a like they're not having their own presentation. That doesn't mean that their games aren't going to be at E3. No, they said that their games aren't going to be at E3. Oh, did they say that? They, oh. they weren't going to oh, have talking... a press conference. Like, yes, they were on that list of E3 things. And then they're like, no, 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 no. We out. We out. You're correct. But again, they could be like, that could have been be anything. Whatever. That could have. Yeah. That could because like Konami does does. Oh, an amount of weird shit that I think could appear at E3 in terms of like random collections of classic games or arcade games or whatever that maybe could have appeared and we wouldn't really think of as like worth like we wouldn't think of as a Konami E3 presence but for them they'd probably be like yeah this is us being at E3 mm-hmm. I I could still see the case of some Konami IP appearing oh. on a stage at E3 for sure I mean I guarantee if somebody is like, if they got that type of shit they would be willing to lie for the hype and for the surprise oh. and for the, the oh shit moment 1000%. Tim, folks mm-hmm. go, go over to kindoffunny.com slash you're wrong where they can write in and let us know what we got wrong as we got it wrong so we can correct it for those that are listening and watching later on youtube.com slash games and on podcast services around the globe. Uh, we got a few here. And let's see here. Parks writes in and says, Miss News. Actually, let me double check that. I don't like saying Miss News without actually double checking things. So let me check. Uh, Mm, that's not a you're wrong the jet set gabe hewitt says the, the jet set radio spiritual successor you guys were thinking of might have been bomb rush cyberpunk yes it was thank you for that uh, and then nanobot just writes in and says e3 2018 xbox announced ninja theory undead labs compulsion games and playground games 2019 they announced uh double fine and so there you go and then the last one uh for miss news dark alliance Hold on, I'm clicking through tabs. Here we go. Dark Alliance uh, has been uh, is coming to Game Pass to, uh, on launch day, so that's missed news for you. Dark Alliance, we're looking forward to that. Boom, look forward to it on Game Pass. Tim, mm-hmm. it's Friday, which means that next down. week, next week we got a whole new slate of hosts coming through to uh, to kind of funny games daily. The breakdown goes like this: on Monday, it's me and it's me and you reuniting. Uh, on Tuesday, Greg and Khalif Adams have spawn on me. Ooh. Wednesday, we got me and Andy. Thursday, we got Greg and Steve Saylor. And then on Friday, we got me and Greg back at it like a bad back habit. Back. Of course, if you're watching this live on Twitch right now, uh, we're taking a break after Kind of Funny Games Daily, but we'll be back at 2 p.m. Pacific time for a poker club stream featuring Mike, Greg, Nick, Joey, Barrett, and Kevin. So get hyped for that. That is sure to be a fun time. Of course, this has been Kind of Funny Games Daily. Each and every weekday live right here on twitch.tv slash Games. We run you through the nerdy news you need to know about. We have a Patreon post show for those that are subbed at the silver level of patreon.com slash kind of funny games. So stick around for that. Otherwise, until next time, game daily.